to chapter 20 of the age of innocence this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the age of innocence by edith wharton book 2 chapter 20 of course we must dine with mrs carfrey dearest archer said and his wife looked at him with an anxious frown across the monumental Britannica ware of their lodging-house breakfast-table. In all the rainy desert of autumnal London, there were only two people whom the Newland archers knew, and these two they had sedulously avoided. In conformity with the old New York tradition that it was not dignified to force oneself on the notice of one's acquaintances in foreign countries. Mrs. Archer and Janey, in the course of their visits to Europe, had so unflinchingly lived up to this principle, and met the friendly advances of their fellow-travellers with an air of such impenetrable reserve that they had almost achieved the record of never having exchanged a word with a foreigner other than those employed in hotels and railway stations. Their own compatriots, save those previously known or properly accredited, they treated with an even more pronounced disdain, so that, unless they ran across a chivers a dagonet or a mingot their months abroad were spent in an unbroken tete-a-tete but the utmost precautions are sometimes unavailing and one night at watson one of the two english ladies in the room across the passage whose names dress and social situation were already intimately known to janey had knocked on their door and asked if mrs archer had a bottle of liniment the other lady the intruder's sister, Mrs. Caffrey, had been seized with a sudden attack of bronchitis, and Mrs. Archer, who never travelled without a complete family pharmacy, was fortunately able to produce the required remedy. Mrs. Caffrey was very ill, and as she and her sister, Miss Harl, were travelling alone, they were profoundly grateful to the Archer ladies, who supplied them with ingenious comforts and whose efficient maid helped them to nurse the invalid back to health. When the archers left Watson, they had no idea of ever seeing Mrs. Carfrey and Miss Harl again. Nothing to Mrs. Archer's mind would have been more undignified than to force oneself on the notice of a foreigner to whom one had happened to render an accidental service. But Mrs. Carfrey and her sister, to whom this point of view was unknown, and who would have found it utterly incomprehensible felt themselves linked by an eternal gratitude to the delightful americans who had been so kind at botson with touching fidelity they seized every chance of meeting mrs archer and janey in the course of their continental travels and displayed a supernatural acuteness in finding out when they were to pass through london on their way to or from the states the intimacy became indissoluble and mrs archer and janey whenever they alighted at brown's hotel found themselves awaited by two affectionate friends who like themselves cultivated ferns in wardian cases made macrame lace read the memoirs of the baroness bunsen and had views about the occupants of the leading london pulpits as mrs archer said it made another thing of london to know mrs carfrey and miss hale and by the time that newland became engaged the tie between the families was so firmly established that it was thought only right to send a wedding invitation to the two english ladies who sent in return 
a pretty bouquet of pressed alpine flowers under glass and on the dock when newland and his wife sailed for england mrs archer's last word had been you must take may to see mrs carfrey newland and his wife had no idea of obeying this injunction but mrs carfrey with her usual acuteness had run them down and sent them an invitation to dine and it was over this invitation that may archer was wrinkling her brows across the tea and muffins it's all very well for you newland you know them but i shall feel so shy among a lot of people i've never met and what shall i wear newland leaned back in his chair and smiled at her she looked handsomer and more diana-like than ever the moist english air seemed to have deepened the bloom of her cheeks and softened the slight hardness of her virginal features or else it was simply the inner glow of happiness shining through like a light under ice where dearest i thought a trunkful of things had come from paris last week yes of course i meant to say that i shan't know which to wear she pouted a little i've never dined out in london and i don't want to be ridiculous he tried to enter into her perplexity but don't english women dress just like everybody else in the evening newland how can you ask such funny questions when they go to the theatre in old ball dresses and bare heads well perhaps they wear new ball dresses at home but at any rate mrs carfrey and mrs harl won't they'll wear caps just like my mother's and shawls very soft shawls yes but how will the other women be dressed not as well as you dear he rejoined wondering what had suddenly developed in her janey's morbid interest in clothes she pushed back her chair with a sigh <sighs> that's dear of you newland but it doesn't help me much he had an inspiration why not wear your wedding dress that can't be wrong can it oh dearest if i only had it here but it's gone to paris to be made over for next winter and worth hasn't sent it back oh well said archer getting up look here the fog's lifting if we make a dash for the national gallery we might manage to catch a glimpse of the pictures the newland archers were on their way home after a three months wedding tour which may in writing to her girlfriends vaguely summarized as blissful they had not gone to the italian lakes on reflection archer had not been able to picture his wife in that particular setting her own inclination after a month with the parish dressmakers was for mountaineering in july and swimming in august this plan they punctually fulfilled spending july at interlaken and grindelwald and august at a little place called etrat on the normandy coast which someone had recommended as quaint and quiet once or twice in the mountains archer had pointed southward and said there's italy and may her feet in a gentian bed had smiled cheerfully and replied it would be lovely to go there next winter if only you didn't have to be in new york but in reality travelling interested her even less than he had expected she regarded it once her clothes were ordered as merely an enlarged opportunity for walking riding swimming and trying her hand at the fascinating new game of lawn tennis and when they finally got back to london where they were to spend a fortnight while he ordered his clothes she no longer concealed the eagerness with which she looked forward to sailing in london nothing interested her but the theatres and the shops 
and she found the theatres less exciting than the paris cafes chantants where under the blossoming horse-chestnuts of the champs-elysees she had the novel experience of looking down from the restaurant terrace on an audience of cocottes and having her husband interpret to her as much of the songs as he thought suitable for bridal ears archer had reverted to all his old inherited ideas about marriage it was less trouble to conform with the tradition and treat may exactly as all his friends treated their wives than to try to put into practice the theories with which his untrammelled bachelorhood had dallied there was no use in trying to emancipate a wife who had not the dimmest notion that she was not free and had long since discovered that may's only use of the liberty she supposed herself to possess would be to lay it on the altar of her wifely adoration her innate dignity would always keep her from making the gift abjectly and a day might even come as it once had when she would find strength to take it altogether back if she thought she were doing it for her own good but with a conception of marriage so uncomplicated and incurious as hers such a crisis could be brought about only by something visibly outrageous in his own conduct and the fineness of her feeling for him made that unthinkable whatever happened he knew she would always be loyal gallant and unresentful and that pledged him to the practice of the same virtues all this tended to draw him back into his old habits of mind if her simplicity had been the simplicity of pettiness he would have chaffed and rebelled but since the lines of her character though so few were on the same fine mould as her face she became the tutelary divinity of all his old traditions and reverences such qualities were scarcely of the kind to enliven foreign travel though they made her so easy and pleasant a companion but he saw at once how they would fall into place in their proper setting he had no fear of being oppressed by them for his artistic and intellectual life would go on as it always had outside the domestic circle and within it there would be nothing small and stifling coming back to his wife would never be like entering a stuffy room after a tramp in the open and when they had children the vacant corners in both their lives would be filled all these things went through his mind during their long slow drive from mayfair to south kingston where mrs carfrey and her sister lived archer too would have preferred to escape their friend's hospitality in conformity with the family tradition he had always travelled as a sightseer and looker-on affecting a haughty unconsciousness of the presence of his fellow-beings only once just after harvard he had spent a few gay weeks at florence with a band of queer europeanized americans dancing all night with tilted ladies in palaces and gambling half the day with the rakes and dandies of all the fashionable club but it had all seemed to him though the greatest fun in the world as unreal as a carnival these queer cosmopolitan women deep in complicated love affairs which they appeared to feel the need of retailing to everyone they meet and the magnificent young officers and elderly dyed wits who were the subjects or the recipients of their confidences were too different from the people archer had grown up among too much like expensive and rather malodorous hothouse exotics to detain his imagination long to introduce his wife into such a society was out of the question and in the course of his travels no other had shown any marked eagerness for his company 
not long after their arrival in london he had run across the duke of st austray and the duke instantly and cordially recognizing him had said look me up won't you but no proper-spirited american would have considered that a suggestion to be acted on and their meeting was without a sequel they had even managed to avoid may's english aunt the banker's wife who was still in yorkshire in fact they had purposely postponed going to london till the autumn in order that their arrival during the season might not appear pushing and snobbish to these unknown relatives probably there'll be nobody at mrs carfrey's london's a desert at this season and you've made yourself much too beautiful archer said to may who sat at his side in the hansom so spotlessly splendid in her sky-blue cloak edged with a swan's down that it seemed wicked to expose her to the london grime i don't want them to think we dress like savages she replied with a scorn that pocahontas might have resented and he was struck again by the religious reverence of even the most unworldly american women for the social advantages of dress it's their armor he thought their defense against the unknown and their defiance of it and he understood for the first time the earnestness with which may who was incapable of tying a ribbon in her hair to charm him had gone through the solemn rite of selecting and ordering her extensive wardrobe he had been right in expecting the party at mrs caffrey's to be a small one besides their hostess and her sister they found in the long chilly drawing-room only another shawled lady a genial vicar who was her husband a silent lad whom mrs caffrey named as her nephew and a small dark gentleman with lively eyes whom she introduced as his tutor pronouncing a french name as she did so into this dimly lit and dim-featured group may archer floated like a swan with the sunset on her she seemed larger fairer more voluminously rustling than her husband had ever seen her and he perceived that the rosiness and rustlingness were the tokens of an extreme and infantile shyness what on earth will they expect me to talk about her helpless eyes implored him at the very moment that her dazzling apparition was calling forth the same anxiety in her own bosoms but beauty even when distrustful of itself awakens confidence in the manly heart and the vicar and the french-named tutor were soon manifesting to may their desire to put her at ease in spite of their best efforts however the dinner was a languishing affair archer noticed that his wife's way of showing herself at ease with foreigners was to become more uncompromisingly local in her references so that though her loveliness was an encouragement to admiration her conversation was a chill to repartee the vicar soon abandoned the struggle but the tutor who spoke the most fluent and accomplished english gallantly continued to pour it out to her until the ladies to the manifest relief of all concerned went up to the drawing-room the vicar after a glass of port was obliged to hurry away to a meeting and the shy nephew who appeared to be an invalid was packed off to bed but archer and the tutor continued to sit over their wine and suddenly archer found himself talking as he had not done since his last symposium with ned winsett the carfrey nephew it turned out had been threatened with consumption and had had to leave harrow for switzerland 
where he had spent two years in the milder air of lake leman being a bookish youth he had been entrusted to monsieur riviere who had brought him back to england and was to remain with him till he went up to oxford the following spring and monsieur riviere added with simplicity that he should then have to look out for another job it seemed impossible archer thought that he should be long without one so varied were his interests and so many his gifts he was a man of about thirty with a thin ugly face may would certainly have called him common-looking to which the play of his ideas gave him an intense expressiveness but there was nothing frivolous or cheap in his animation his father who had died young had filled a small diplomatic post and it had been intended that the son should follow the same career but an insatiable taste for letters had thrown the young man into journalism then into authorship apparently unsuccessful and at length after other experiments and vicissitudes where he spared his listener into tutoring english youths in switzerland before that however he had lived much in paris frequented the goncourt grenier been advised by maupassant not to attempt to write even that seemed to archer a dazzling honour and had often talked with merimee in his mother's house he had obviously always been desperately poor and anxious having a mother and an unmarried sister to provide for and it was apparent that his literary ambitions had failed his situation in fact seemed materially speaking no more brilliant than ned winsett's but he had lived in a world in which as he said no one who loved ideas need hunger mentally as it was precisely of that love that poor winsett was starving to death archer looked with a sort of vigorous envy at this eager impetuous young man who had fared so richly in his poverty you see monsieur it's worth everything isn't it to keep one's intellectual liberty not to enslave one's powers of appreciation one's critical independence it was because of that that i abandoned journalism and took to so much duller work tutoring and private secretaryship there is a good deal of drudgery of course but one preserves one's moral freedom what we call in french one's quantasol and when one hears good talk one can join in it without compromising any opinions but one's own or one can listen and answer it inwardly ah good conversation there's nothing like it is there the air of ideas is the only air worth breathing and so i have never regretted giving up either diplomacy or journalism two different forms of the same self-abdication he fixed his vivid eyes on archer as he lit another cigarette voulez-vous monsieur to be able to look life in the face that's worth living in a garret for isn't it but after all one must earn enough to pay for the garret and i confess that to grow old as a private tutor or a private anything is almost as chilling to the imagination as a second secretaryship at bucharest sometimes i feel i must make a plunge an immense plunge do you suppose for instance there would be any openings for me in america in new york archer looked at him with startled eyes new york for a young man who had frequented the goncourts and flaubert and who thought the life of ideas the only one worth living he continued to stare at monsieur riviere perplexedly 
wondering how to tell him that his very superiorities and advantages would be the surest hindrance to success new york new york but m must it be especially new york he stammered utterly unable to imagine what lucrative opening his native city could offer to a young man to whom a good conversation appeared to be the only necessity a sudden flush rose under monsieur rivier's sallow skin i i thought it your metropolis is not the intellectual life more active there he rejoined then as if fearing to give his hearer the impression of having asked a favor he went on hastily one throws out random suggestions more to oneself than to others in reality i see no immediate prospect and rising from his seat he added without a trace of constraint but mrs Caffrey will think that i ought to be taking you upstairs during the homeward drive archer pondered deeply on this episode his hour with monsieur vivier had put new air into his lungs and his first impulse had been to invite him to dine the next day but he was beginning to understand why married men did not always immediately yield to their first impulses that young tutor is an interesting fellow we had some awfully good talk after dinner about books and things he threw out tentatively in the hansom may roused herself from one of the dreamy silences into which he had read so many meanings before six months of marriage had given him the key to them the little frenchman wasn't he dreadfully common she questioned coldly and he guessed that she nursed a secret disappointment at having been invited out in london to meet a clergyman and a french tutor the disappointment was not occasioned by the sentiment ordinarily defined as snobbishness but by old new york's sense of what was due to it when it risked its dignity in foreign lands if may's parents had entertained the caffreys in fifth avenue they would have offered them something more substantial than a parson and a schoolmaster but archer was on edge and took her up common common where he queried and she returned with unusual readiness why i should say anywhere but in his schoolroom those people are always awkward in society but then she added disarmingly i suppose i shouldn't have known if he was clever archer disliked her use of the word clever almost as much as her use of the word common but he was beginning to fear his tendency to dwell on the things he disliked in her after all her point of view had always been the same it was that of all the people he had grown up among and he had always regarded it as necessary but negligible until a few months ago he had never known a nice woman who looked at life differently and if a man married it must necessarily be among the nice ah then i won't ask him to dine he concluded with a laugh and may echoed bewildered goodness ask the mccaffrey's tutor well not on the same day with the carfreys if you prefer i shouldn't but i did rather want another talk with him he's looking for a job in new york her surprise increased with her indifference he almost fancied that she suspected him of being tainted with foreignness a job in new york what sort of job people don't have french tutors what does he want to do chiefly to enjoy good conversation i understand her husband retorted perversely and she broke into an appreciative laugh oh newland how funny isn't that french 
on the whole he was glad to have the matter settled for him by her refusing to take seriously his wish to invite monsieur vivier another after-dinner talk would have made it difficult to avoid the question of new york and the more archer considered it the less he was able to fit monsieur riviere into any conceivable picture of new york as he knew it he perceived with a flash of chilling insight that in future many problems would be thus negatively solved for him but as he paid the hansom and followed his wife's long train into the house he took refuge in the comforting platitude that the first six months were always the most difficult in marriage after that i suppose we shall have pretty nearly finished rubbing off each other's angles he reflected but the worst of it was that may's pressure was already bearing on the very angles whose sharpness he most wanted to keep end of book two chapter twenty of the age of innocence